0: Thank you, Landon. All right, welcome everyone, and uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 13 today. But I just wanted to share as well. Uh, Mark mentioned here just a minute ago. We had a meeting Wednesday night and uh, just pitched some some ideas and of of how we're, the ideas of of things that we could do going forward and. With this crew, we just had just a, a tremendous wonderful spirit of um, people that that shared thoughts and concerns and that sort of thing. It was just a, a amazing group, an amazing meeting to be a part of on a Wednesday night. And so um, there is uh, the 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 big thing that came out of it uh, that we that Mark mentioned is just tweaking our assembly time a little bit and um, and so it's it's more of a nice round number. Ten thirty is rather than ten forty. And also uh, during the the prayer time, something we we realized, and this is we got we got comments from, is there's there'd be a group in there praying, but there'd be a, a much larger group, oftentimes in the lobby that's that's fellowshipping. And since we do a prayer time on Wednesday night during our Bible classes anyway, thought okay, let's just let's, let's turn this into a time from nine to nine thirty. It's a meet and greet fellowship time that um, many of the, the leadership will be here, and you can just come and you can. Uh, uh, talk with us, you can pray with us. If there's a group that says, hey, we want to pray on a regular basis, the building's a big place. There's lots of places that uh, we can organize that. And so just make it a more flexible time. That was the, uh, the, the, the big thing that we came up with. There's a few questions that we're going to come out on the, the survey that Mark mentioned just about Sunday night and how we do that. And we'd love your input. We're all walking through this together. And the big question that we want to ask is, how can we be the people that God wants us to be more than we are now? And, and that's a, those are great questions to, to, to wrestle with. And so, like I said, he's a great spirit, and we're going to look forward to the future. Now, this one, something that, that has come up quite a bit is, on, on Wednesday night especially, I've been using some memes uh, during, during the online time. And this has been uh, something that uh, the memes that I've used, people have responded a lot, and I've got a lot of interaction with them. And so I just thought that this would be something just to share today, How many of you know who this guy is up here? Okay. Ice Age, is that correct? It's this little character on Ice Age that whatever he does destroys the world or changes the world or something like that. And it all comes down to him chasing this little acorn. So I'm pretty sure that everything in 2020 happened because something this dude did. So if you find this dude, get a little nice have-a-heart live trap. We'll just trap him, cage him up a little bit, and he can quit wreaking havoc for and We can just go forward in peace, right? Does that sound like a plan? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's right. That's, here we go. In Montana, we immediately go to let's shoot the critter kind of thing. Yeah, here we go. Anyway, for those of you that are uh, joining us virtually today, uh, something we are aware of is the, uh, the the camera has a difficult time focusing, and so we're in the process of investing in some better equipment so that we're going to be able to, uh, to, to do this online in this format a whole lot better. And uh, Mark mentioned I'm going to be gone a, a few weeks from now. On Sunday morning, but Paul Bowles is going to, be, going to be preaching to you. Paul grew up here in the Belgrade Church, and uh, he's uh, excited to be able to share God's message with you here in a few weeks. All right, let's go ahead and go to uh, Nehemiah chapter 13, and we'll jump in there. There's something I remember happening several times when I was a little guy. My mom would say something like when my sister and I were oftentimes in an argument or or something like that. She would say, are you guys seriously doing that again? As if we should know better. And the the strange thing was, is we did know better, but we just went into those old habits again. And what we're going to see here from Nehemiah chapter 13 is something similar. Is Nehemiah, he doesn't say it in these words, but it's something like, are you guys seriously doing that stuff again? (laughs) Here we go. So if, you, if we go back from to, to the beginning and just give some, some nuts and bolts of what's happened so far, is Nehemiah is this, this guy who is, has got a, is very well respected, serving in the court of the Persian king as a cupbearer. But there's something, this burden on his heart, that for, through a few different circumstances that happened, that puts him in a position where he says, I need to go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild the wall, and take care of my people that are living there in abject poverty. And so as he, uh, God answers that prayer, he's sent on this mission, they rebuild the wall, there's all sorts of obstacles happen. The people that have, that have been in power there really have issues with Nehemiah, and so there's this battle back and forth for a while. But it ends up with them finishing the wall, and then there's this great time of renewal. And if you remember, we talked about that, that last week, is there's this commitment to obey the Torah, or go back and, and obey the uh, the books of the Old Law, and make that a commitment in in their lives, and they talk about refraining from mixed marriages. We will no longer go and marry these these people that worship other gods, because our hearts will be torn away from serving the, the one true God. We are no longer going to observe the Sabbath. Or excuse, let me say that differently. We are going to observe the Sabbath, and we're going to be dedicated observing. I didn't say that right, did I, Phil? Not at all, not at all, okay. That's right, keep me in line here. We're going to observe the Sabbath because that's what got us into this problem and sent us into slavery these years ago is we weren't observing the Sabbath and we're going to take that seriously. That's going to be a holy day that's set aside and we're going to support the spiritual development of the temple. We have not tithed, we have not given and there is n- the temple's just there and there's no spiritual teaching that is pouring out of it and we're going to do things differently, we're going to commit ourselves to making this temple something where people can come that is a house of prayer for all nations, that people can come and hear the the message of God. And that's what they commit to. Well, some things happen in the meantime. We see that Nehemiah is not always there in Jerusalem. He goes away for a while, a number of years, very likely. And then he comes back into uh, Jerusalem in chapter 13, and we're going to see what happens. I'm going to read just a, a few uh, verses here and then I'll tell the rest of the story because in, in verse 4 it says before this so before Nehemiah returns Eliashib the priest had taken had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of the god he was closely associated with Tobiah uh, some translations will say he was related to or he'd been related to by marriage and Tobiah is one of those guys that kept stirring the pot. Remember. And he provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. So Nehemiah comes back and realizes, wait a minute here. All of this that was supposed to be put aside to support the temple and the work that happens at the temple has, isn't there and one of these scoundrels that was causing problems before has found his way into the temple and he is in charge of and using that area. So Nehemiah goes in and says, no, not, not okay with this. Takes all of Tobiah's stuff, his household goods, out of the room and throws it out and has those rooms purified. But it doesn't start there. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And look at these two lists because what happens is Nehemiah goes around and he realizes that the tithes have not been given been, been given to the priests at all and the Levites and so those people that were Levites that were supposed to be there working at the temple teaching they have gone back to their ancestral homelands back to their fields because they are not being supported to teach the message of God there and so they're gone and you imagine Nehemiah coming up to the temple mount, and saying wait a minute here where are the Levites at? where, where are the priests? what's going on? nobody's here it's gone. And so Nehemiah says, all right, get back out there. And he goes back and he, he has some of these Levites rounded up, tells them to go back out as well and start getting the tithe so that the, the temple can be supported, so the message of God can continue to, to emanate from that. And boy, what a, what a sad thing that Nehemiah comes back to. And then not only that, but we see in chapter 13 here, is that the Sabbath was not being observed. There were markets that were open in Jerusalem, People from Tyre, merchants, were bringing in fish and bringing in different things to be sold. And so Nehemiah says, no way, no more, not doing that, closes the gates. And so some of these people come and they, they try to get into the city. But Nehemiah puts the Levites there after he's put his own men there to make sure that the gates are closed. And then says, from now on, Levites, you guys are supposed to do this. Your job is to keep spiritual purity And so you're going to guard the gates on the Sabbath. And so people stay outside there with all their fish. you imagine the fresh fish that they have there as they're trying to bring it in? And they have no refrigeration and they can't get in the front gates. That doesn't last very long. They say, okay, I'm not coming on the Sabbath anymore because this is not worth it. This does not go very well. These fish stink and all that. And Nehemiah says, wait a minute, you've made this commitment to honor the Sabbath. You need to keep it. And the people had not been doing that in the years since Nehemiah is gone. Not only that, as you see that some of the Jewish men, specifically the leaders, have married foreign women. And you imagine Nehemiah as he's walking through the, the streets of Jerusalem and he hears these dialects that are different. He's like, wait a minute, that kid's not speaking the Aramaic and that is spoken by the people. What, what is he speaking? And these children had foreign mothers that worshipped foreign gods and they're speaking these different dialects. And Nehemiah says, wait a minute here, we've missed this. No, nope. we shouldn't be doing this. This is what you've committed. And even one of the priests has taken a foreign wife. And okay, now understand, this is not like in our world where you get two young people run off together and the parents are like, oh no, please don't do that. Please, please, please don't do that sort of thing. Remember, these are arranged marriages. So this, is, these are people that are older, that that arrange foreign marriages to people that are ungodly to their children. With full knowledge, full understanding, they do that. And so Nehemiah says, all right, you're a priest, the grandson of the high priest, married to this foreign woman. You think the priest, his father, and the the high priest knew about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's how that dynamic works. So he says, you're you're gone. You can't be a priest out of this because that's very specific from Scripture. That's not the case. And then he says, what we see is the Torah is not being observed. And this isn't mentioned specifically in chapter 13, but you see what's happened here? Is the people, the commitments that they've made in chapter 10 to renew and rededicate themselves to following God, they have backtracked on every one of them and said, nah, you know, I know we made that commitment, but man, this is just so much easier to sell on the Sabbath. And even if we're not doing it, we'll let the people from Tyre do it. You know, just maybe it's not us or... Man, I know that this is, uh, I know that my, my son is supposed to marry someone who, who loves God, who's a part of the, the people of Israel, but boy, this is a very strategic marriage. And this, is, this will enable my family line to be wealthy for generations if I do this, if I arrange this marriage. And, and those sort of things start happening instead of putting God in the front and center. And so Nehemiah, you can imagine, he's thinking, wait a minute here. Are you guys still are you guys doing this stuff again? The very things that you made commitments to not go down this road again, you're doing exactly that. And so Nehemiah, it says the term is used here three times. Nehemiah rebukes the people. And he deals with every one of these situations and says, "No, no, no, no. This isn't the way. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Not okay." And so that term rebuke, how many of you like that term rebuke? How many of you love it? Just love to use it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, good. We'll, we'll talk about that here, as we, as we, because this gives us a great platform to talk about what that means. So to rebuke means, and and that what that says, BDag two thousand. That's the the Greek dictionary. Okay, if you want more information about that, you can talk with me about it. I'll show you where that information comes from. But the term rebuke, as we use it, and and the scripture uses it, it has these definitions. Okay. To scrutinize or examine carefully, to bring to light, to expose or to set forth. So think about this. Um, I remember as a kid, my parents had this phrase that was absolutely dreaded for me. I hated it. Go clean your room. hated it. Why on earth would I have to do something like that? I'm not on board with that. I hated having to clean my room and, and to, to pick up stuff and all that, and it was difficult. And for a long time, and it was by choice, it wasn't because my parents couldn't afford it or, or something, I had a mattress on the floor. I liked it. It was like a camping trip all the time. you know. And I remember when my dad and I took some lumber, spare lumber, we just built a bed when I was a little older, and I realized something that was very, very valuable about having a bed off the ground when I was cleaning my room. (laughs) Oh, man. Because if I didn't know what to do with something, I just shoved it under my bed. You know, and that worked out great. And in life, that's the sort of thing that we can do is that we have these hidden compartments that if something we just don't want to deal with, we don't want to bring out in the light, we don't want to clean up, then I'll just shove it under the bed so that everything looks good, even though it's not, even though... It's still dirty, even though it's still a mess. You just can't see it. And so the idea of rebuking someone is to scrutinize, to carefully bring to light what is, is hidden. Another uh, part of the definition is to bring a person to the point of recognizing wrongdoing or to convict someone that uh, the, the situation in life that they're in is a situation that is that is wrong and needs to be changed To express strong disapproval of someone's actions. To reprove, correct, or penalize for wrongdoing. Punish discipline. Okay, so there's a... Do you guys remember when we used to watch football on TV? It was a long time ago. Or sports or anything like that. Yeah, you remember it. Yeah, back in the good old days, right? Yeah, but when a ref blows the whistle and there's a 15-yard face-masking penalty, that's a... A form of rebuke. No, you can't do that. You're going to be penalized for, for what you just did. And we do that in, in life for each other as well. And so all of this is designed by God to be something very healthy and something that's very good. And we see with Nehemiah it was used in a way that was healthy and good and honorable. We'll come back to that. But that's the definitions there. And so let's look at a few scriptures here before we talk about what this means for us. Is rebuking in scripture. Here's a, one scripture from Leviticus. So this would have been one of these scriptures that <clears throat> excuse me the people of the Nehemiah would have would have been around would have heard this when the book of law the law was read. They would have heard rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. And one of the things I remember my parents telling me when I was a little kid is that if you are there when somebody else does something wrong and you don't say something about it and you just you don't do it but you just kind of nod, and you you don't say, "Ah, uh, I'm out." Then you are just as guilty as them. How many of your parents said something like that? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You hear that kind of thing, and so that's the idea here: is that scripture is is telling the Israelites is is rebuke your neighbor frankly, clearly, so that you will not share in their guilt. If your neighbor is up to something that is sinful and destructive, you need to you need to share that with them. Okay, don't just let them go off into destruction, but you need to, to share it with them. Here's what Landon read here just a minute ago, and I appreciate this scripture: "Is my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in." Man, I think about that is what a beautiful passage there is that God beautiful but uncomfortable is that God rebukes those he loves. If God really truly loves us, then we're going to have to expect that we're going to have times of discomfort because that's God growing us. That's God stretching us. That's how it works. And I started thinking about, in our world, oftentimes when we say when something is uncomfortable, our mind immediately goes to uncomfortable equals bad, right? I've got to get out of whatever this situation is that's making me uncomfortable. I've got to get rid of it so that I can get into, back to my happy spot, my comfort spot, right? But I think about how many uncomfortable things are really, really good, How many of you work out, or at least pretend to, some? Is it hard? Is it hurt? Is it uncomfortable? Is it good? Some of you will say no. But it is. It's good, isn't it? It's good for our heart. It's good for our muscles. It's good for our well-being. Danny says no. All right. Yeah, no, it's bad. It's just a bad, bad thing to do, right? Okay. Is saving money instead of spending money uncomfortable sometimes? Deciding I'm going to save up instead of just spend on what's there. That's not always the case. Some people are thrifty because of habit and hobby. It's the most fun thing in the world, to walk into a store and never spend anything. It's like this hobby. Now, it can be uncomfortable. Hard work can be uncomfortable. I remember as a kid getting growing pains in my knees as I grew and just how that hurt. But it wasn't bad. It was uncomfortable. But it was good because I was growing uh, school, how many of you think school is uncomfortable, if you're still in school? Is it uncomfortable? Yes, but is it good? Yes. <laughs> Some of you are saying no, smart mouth, all of you guys, listen to you. But it's still good, isn't it? For those of us who are married, is marriage uncomfortable and difficult? Yes. But is it good? Yes. So, all of those things indicate for us is that God is, has His ways of bringing discomfort in our lives at times to rebuke us, to, because He wants us to to be all that we can be, He wants us to be all that we should be. And He works that way. And so, just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean that we scream out to God and say, God, why on earth me? No way, this is, you must have abandoned me, I'm done, I'm out of this. The better response is quietly, God, I don't understand it. But I know you're here. Maybe I need to learn something here. I need to be reflective. And I'm going to grow. And that's my commitment. Here's another scripture. And this is from the Proverbs. And the Proverbs is full of scriptures that deal with rebuking. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. All right. So in other words, there's sometimes you just keep your mouth shut. Okay? Okay? Because it's not going to be valuable at all. But the big question, I think, for us to ask ourselves in this is, how do I respond to correction? Do I know everything already? And anybody around me who says something different than what I think, am I defensive? Do I blame? Is that how I respond? Because if that's how I respond, take a long look at what Scripture says here. Because there's a heart issue there. There's a character issue that's right here. But it says, Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add learning. And this is Proverbs 9, verses 7 through 9. And what a beautiful picture here is that if we have a heart that is hard, then, then any type of correction, we're not going to listen to it. We, don't, we, we know everything already. Get out of my face sort of thing. But when we have a heart for God, our tendency is, when there's correction that comes, is to appreciate it and welcome it and say, oh, yeah, okay, that's great. I'm glad I know that. I'm glad I'm in a better spot now than I was before. And it's not this big faith crisis. It's not this, this big giant issue. It's just, oh, wow, great, I've learned, and here we go. I'm glad to know uh, that God is, is using others to help call me higher. So let's talk about this in practical terms uh, from the, the example of Nehemiah here. Rebuking others is not, okay? Here's some things that rebuking is not wanting to set others straight, or also known as righteous indignation, okay? Because that, that happens. is there's, This is part of the sinful nature, is that we can be so consumed with, with uh, what others are doing and, and we don't see what's going on inside of us like Jesus talks about wanting to pick the speck but not seeing the, the log in our own eye, that there's times where we can go around with just this righteous indignation that it is my right to, to make sure that everybody else is set straight, and I'm just going to make sure that, that I do that on a regular basis uh, and make sure that uh, uh, you are entitled to my opinion, and that's what, what I'm going to do. You know, I heard someone say that the other day, and I enjoyed that. Okay? That's not what spiritual rebuke is at all. That's sinful nature there. Rebuking is not a way to confront others regarding disputable matters. And I use that term, disputable matters, because that is what is used in Scripture in Romans 14, verse 1. Romans 14 talks about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 talks about it. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about it. All of them different things. You see Colossians spend some time with it. Ephesians does. That There's some things that, that we're not going to have figured out this side of life. Now, Ephesians and Colossians talk about celebrating certain days or not celebrating certain days. First uh, Corinthians and Romans talk about eating meat sacrificed to idols, which is not something that I've never eaten meat sacrificed to idols, I'm aware of, but it was something that was, that was an everyday occurrence for these people, or could be. And, and so something that there was, it wasn't one of those, a, a, a clear black and white right and wrong, but it depended on the situation, whether it was a, a good thing to do or not. And so rebuking is not a way to just uh, confront others regarding disputable matters. We're called by God to things that are, that are not expressly laid out in Scripture, that are not sin, to let each other live and, and leave each other alone in those sort of things. And this is not what rebuking is, is, is making sure I'm just going to lay down the law on disputable matters. Rebuking others is not an optional part of Christian life, because our tendency sometimes is for people... To run the spectrum. Either I'm going to to rebuke everybody I come in contact with, or because I've had a bad experience with that, I'm not going to rebuke any ever. And scripture says that this is part of, of godly life. Okay, we'll get back into what it looks like here in a minute. And rebuking is not a first resort tool to correct young Christians. Okay, now I could not figure out a better way to say this. Okay, so there's part of me will disagree immediately with this because when rebuke is done well, it's It's a great tool for for helping all of us uh, live the way that God wants us to. The issue is this, okay is I'm sure you know and and I know people, and I could lay out a list of names right now of people who do not participate in church of any kind because somewhere somehow, when they were a young Christian, they were doing their best, they were doing what they thought was good. And somebody comes flying out of left field and gives a harsh rebuke and scares them to death, and they say, "Oh man, that's not something I ever want to participate in again," and don't have the spiritual maturity to be able to walk through that. And that's a, a you know, scripture would tell us that that's a pretty spooky thing. Okay, it's not a first resort tool to just okay, someone is new, someone is young, someone's immature, and so my job is just to go blast them and set them straight. It's not something you see in Scripture. Do you see Jesus when people were repentant, the gentleness that he used in his interactions with them? But on the other side, here's a, what rebuking is from a biblical and a spiritual perspective. To be, t- to be done with love and care for their souls. Now, what does that look like? And, and from situation to situation, it can look different. I think we see Jesus uh, at times when, when the, the woman anointed him with oil. And you see, you know, here's a classic example, disciples saying, wait a minute, that's way too much money to spend on something like this. Why on earth would you do something like that? And Jesus' response is, yeah, you're right. She should keep her budget better or something. Jesus said, leave her alone. You guys just leave her alone. She's fine. Okay? She's preparing me for my burial. You guys just leave her alone. Mind your own business. This sort of thing. But Jesus also, he he rebukes them because he cares about their souls. He's gentle with her because he cares about her souls. But when Jesus goes into the temple and clears up the temple, or when Nehemiah, when you read Nehemiah 13, he actually grabs some people by the hair at one point in time. Whew, man, that's why I shave my head, okay? That's why, because I don't want that to happen to me, Right? But Jesus and Nehemiah and both share some really strong rebukes that I maintain that it was done out of love and deep care for souls because people that were in positions of leadership were leading people away from God instead of towards God in both of those situations. And you see that over and over and over again. We'll look at a couple more here in just a second. And so rebuking others is a way to confront sin in the lives of Christians. Now sometimes we're going on through life And as Christians, we have sin in our life and we know it and we just don't know how to deal with it and we don't know how to get rid of it and we're not sure what what we need to say, we're not sure what we need to do. Until someone comes up and says, hey, I've noticed this going on in your life. Can I pray with you? Can I sit beside you? Can I walk with this? Beside you through this. And all of a sudden, there it comes. We wanted to confess. We wanted to get rid of it. We wanted to change. We didn't know how. (laughs) But someone comes with a rebuke, and all of a sudden, here it all comes out. We're just waiting to get caught. We're just waiting for somebody to talk to us. That sort of thing happens. And it's a way to confront sin in the lives of Christians to help all of us to grow, to look more like what God wants us to be. It is a mandatory part of Christianity. We see the example with Ezekiel in the Old Testament. If you read through that, God says, All right, Ezekiel, here's the deal. Your job is to speak. If they listen, that's, that's on them. But your job is to speak the words of God. And in our situation as Christians, uh, there's and we'll look at it here in a second again, is that there's times where not everyone needs to speak, but there's times where someone must. And those are times where uh, rebuking others is, is, uh, is very important. Again, rebuking others is to be used... Most visible, mature Christians and church leaders. Something I was thinking about this week, and Nehemiah's uh, chapter 13 uh, brought this out because he takes issue mostly with the leaders. Uh, it appears in in these rebukes that are happening here. But if you look at Galatians chapter two, you see a situation where Peter, who has who should know better, Peter was the one that went into Cornelius's house, into a Gentile's house. Gross. Because God told him to and shared the message of Jesus and Cornelius and his household became Christians there that day. And he saw that. Peter was one who went to the 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 elders in Jerusalem in, in Acts chapter 15 and said, I've seen that God works among the Gentiles. But what happens is somewhere in that time period after that, is how I understand the timeline, Peter ends up in Antioch and he's eating with the Gentiles. He's eating at the table with these Gentiles. Talk about leaving his comfort zone. How tough that would have been. But then there's some from Jerusalem show up. Some of the hardliners. And Peter withdraws and stops eating with the Gentiles. And pretty soon the Gentiles and the Jews are not eating together anymore in Antioch. And Paul sees it and says, whoa, wait a minute here. Time out here. This should not be happening, Peter. You have withdrawn, and that's not all right. Read Galatians chapter 2, you see the whole account of it there. But it was done publicly, it was done clearly, and as I see, as I know Peter's character, how Peter would have responded to that, Peter wouldn't have responded with with that type of correction, like, who do you think you are, Paul? Get out of my face. His response would have been, as the Proverbs say, oh man, thank you so much, Paul. I'm still having trouble because I am Jewish and I love to be Jewish. And it's really hard for me to get over that. Thank you for the correction. Thank you for the clarity. Uh, when you look at, I have another scripture up there, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. It talks about church leaders, specifically elders, to be corrected publicly. That's what's supposed to happen. Uh, that's what, what scripture tells us. And I believe it's from the perspective of when we have hearts for God, correction is not that big a deal. It's just all of us calling each other higher. And I can remember a few different times where I've been in a situation, and and oftentimes I had no idea it was going to happen. But I was sitting in the pews or in the chairs, like you guys, and someone who's a church leader just gets up and says, man, I don't necessarily have to share this, but I'm going to. Is I got some sin in my life that I've become aware of, and they share it, and say, "I uh, I don't want that anymore," and and I just I just want you guys to pray for me. I remember there was uh, there was once upon a time um, years ago I was you know, part of a, a church community where one of the uh, the elders or one whose name came up as being an elder he. Uh, he got up, and his name was, was, was shared as uh, the church had asked him to serve as an elder. And he got up and he said, you know, I think you guys need to know something about me. And he shared uh, a, a former uh, pornography addiction. And they said, "I have my wife is aware. I have not been down that road for several years, but I want you to be aware of that. Because there's people in our community and there's people around the world that know that I had that addiction. I would never want... A bad name to come on the church here. So if you have an issue with me several years ago being involved in that, then I will not serve. And I remember thinking, man, what an amazing example. I appreciate that so much. You know what happened to his credibility? What do you think happened to his credibility? Did it go down? No, it went up. Credibility went through the roof. Because he shared a loud rebuke to happen. I've seen that many times, and it's always beautiful, and it's always wonderful in those type of situations. Now, here's a, I'm going to jump to the end of James and read a scripture here. And the scripture doesn't use the same term rebuke, but the, the idea is here. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And that's how James ends right there. And that's really the point. Uh, what rebuking is supposed to be about as we interact with each other and each other to call each other higher is that when sin is called out and prayed over, then there's a lot of errors and sins covered over and corrected and and we uh, have a much better direction as we launch into eternity. I think about it this way. With... um, Think about something I, I love is just beautiful. Those old camping lanterns, okay? You look at those that you would you pump up and you 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 set them there and they're they give light and they're they're beautiful. I mean LED is awesome and I have a lot of LEDs, but they got no soul. You know you know what I'm talking about. The light's just not the same as those old kerosene lanterns. And just imagine that there's a kerosene lantern there that is beautiful, that's amazing. It's made out of out of, out of iron, and it, it's got all sorts of decorative decorative uh, um, pieces on it. It's just gorgeous. And that thing is meant to shine. And there it is, sitting on a table with some dirty old fireproof blanket over the top. And as you walk into the room, you look and you think, man, you know, that looks... There's something there. You can kind of see some light trickling out on the floor where the folds of the blanket there uh, don't meet the table. And you look around and you think, wow, what's that? What is under that? And you can't see, but just this dark form and this dark outline. And then, all of a sudden, you take that blanket, you pull it off, and there's light that fills the room. And you get to see the beauty of that particular lantern there and all the light that is... All across the room, it's beautiful and it's amazing. I wonder with Nehemiah, and Nehemiah just ends there. Now, next week is on Father's Day. I'm going to spend some time talking about the character of Nehemiah, because it's tremendous as as far as a, a character and what it uh, what that looks like, and having great character matters. And Nehemiah is a great example of that. But the book of Nehemiah ender, ends there, saying Nehemiah came back. And people had gone right back into the stuff that they committed themselves not to do. And Nehemiah said, no, 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 no. I'm the one right now that must speak. I'm the one that must say something. And so the people, I imagine, responded. We see that the temple is there in Jesus' day. There's priests that are serving. There's there's, there's activity that's happening there. And there must have been some response. Some of that blanket came off the lantern so it could could glow. And so the question for us is, how will you, how will I respond when there's sin in our lives? Am I one that is open to correction? Or am I one that is just pushing people away so that I, I, there's nobody dares correct me because I'm, I'm not open to it? I've got a hard heart and I, I show that to everybody. But when I see the sin in others, the questions I can ask myself is, can I speak? Am I in a spot to where I can speak or am I full of sin myself and I've got nothing to share? Am I one that should speak? Do I have the relationship where I'm in the position or that I should be the one to speak right now? How will you speak? And my, my counsel is prayerfully. <laughs> prayerfully speak in those situations. And the final question is, will you speak. Will we be courageous enough to be people that call each other higher? And will we have the hearts that say, "Hey, I'm, I'm great. I'm good with with uh, with with people, uh, spirit-filled people speaking into my life, so that I can be what God wants me to be." And I believe for Nehemiah's time that worked, and it, there was spiritual transformation that must have happened after that. And for our time, the same types of things may happen is that we can continue to be people that are continually transformed to look more like God because other people around us call us higher. How many of you can think right now of a time where someone came alongside you, exposed the sin in your own life, and helped you live differently? Leave me, i got stories. I have plenty of them. I have some wonderful, wonderful people that I surround myself with that I really want them to speak truthfully to me. Spirit-filled people that the, the love of Christ dwells in. And I hope you have that as well. And I hope you open yourselves to that. Uh, because all of us could learn from uh, from Nehemiah, instead of going back and, are you doing those things again? <laughs> is that we be people that are continually transformed to look more like Jesus and live out the abundant life of Christ. We will go into uh, our our time of the Lord's Supper right now. And then we will uh, uh, Go ahead and and sing our way out of here in song together.